Please do turn with me tonight to our text. It's a well-known text. It's really just a short phrase found in Amos and chapter 4 and verse 12. It is just five words in our English. Prepare to meet thy God. And that's our title this evening. Some verses in the Bible, they shine out. We see such great wisdom or comfort. They stick in the mind. They give us all that we need in that time of difficulty and trial. But this is a different kind of verse. This is a bit like a thorn that sticks in the hand. And you can't get rid of it, not for a few days, but for life. It's a thorn that can only be taken out when you know peace with God and when you can say in your own heart, I am ready, I am prepared. I've made my peace with God and God has made peace with me. And that day, that meeting that this verse mentions, it holds no fear. Death no longer is something I dread. In fact, all that death is, is a hastening of that time when we shall meet with our Saviour. And we will have, as we sang in that hymn, no less days to sound his praise. We will be in eternity with God forever, where there's no sin, no sorrow, no sadness, no sickness, no death. Can you say that tonight? Are you prepared to meet with your God tonight? Tomorrow, whenever it shall be. Is this verse to you tonight a painful reminder? Is it like a thorn that pricks? And if you're honest, you're not really ready. You've got unfinished business. You've got loose ends to tie together. You've got things you must do. You haven't yet made your peace with God. You're not ready. Go on, be honest. In your own heart, I don't know, only you know. Only you know your thoughts towards God and God towards you. Ask that question now. Am I ready? Am I prepared? Is my sin still a barrier? between me and heaven. Well, this is one of those verses. Sometimes you walk into a cemetery and over the gate you read this verse. Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet thy God. What an appropriate verse. You walk round a cemetery and you see gravestones and they tell a tale. You can read between the lines. You can see what sort of life was lived very often by what it says. What verse? Sometimes today there aren't verses chosen to go on gravestones, but it used to be that every God-fearer who was ready to meet their God would give a verse. And that told of what had happened to that soul. 
Sometimes you see this verse above a doorway into a building. Go and look on the internet sometime. Prepare to meet thy God. You'll see stones with those words written. It was one of those verses that a hundred years ago, if you were opening a building or if you were putting something that you wanted people to see, where there was lots of foot traffic, prepare to meet thy God. And everybody that looked up would see those words, and it was designed to, to hurt, to stick, to make us think. Well, I don't want to go much into the context, but we always must look a little to see and to understand this verse was written by Amos, but it was really the words of God spoken through Amos 750, 760 BC. Amos was a very ordinary man. He was a shepherd. He was a farmer, a fruit picker, and he lived in a little village called Tekoa in the south of what we call Israel, a Judean village. He was a very ordinary person, and that's what God delights to use, ordinary people. He raises shepherds, simple people. But he had a very important task. During King Jer Jeroboam II, who reigned in the north in Israel, and King Uzziah, who was reigning in Judah in the south, Amos was sent to give a message to the people. The people, not since the time of Solomon, had they felt such prosperity. It was a false sense of prosperity. Some might know of that town of Lachish, where the people lived comfortably. They didn't bother much with walls and with arms. They didn't have any alliances with other towns and other countries. They just slept peacefully. And these were the times that Amos lived within, alike to Lachish, a false sense of security. The people felt they had a good harvest. They had everything. What need do I have of God? I'm comfortable. I'm okay, thanks. I don't need God. And God, in his mercy, he has a number of ways in which he deals with people that feel comfortably. And we won't look at the verses, but let me just narrate them to you. Very often, the first thing that the Lord does and did then is to warn. He warns. And then if we don't listen, he pleads. He starts to use gentle, tender words. He tries to persuade. He sends a prophet. And the warnings come and the words of pleading come. And we are urged to return. Just look at the end of verse Six, I tried to give it emphasis as we read it. We see a, a phrase repeated. Whenever we see repetition in God's word, it's not an accident. It's here for a reason. Verse six, yet, 
yet ye have not returned unto me. Verse 8, yet have ye not returned unto me. Verse 9, the same. Verse 10, verse 11. The Lord pleads, he warns, but then he elevates the narrative. The dialogue of God is in words, sometimes it's in pictures, sometimes it's in events and circumstances. And what he does is he takes a city and he brings a drought on one city. Cities in those days were not big places typically. They were what we would call villages or small towns. And in an area, a very small area, one town would amazingly have no rain. And the two on either side would have plenty. And this was a miracle. But it was a miracle of judgment to say, listen, listen, I will take away out of your life what you think is part of your comfort, what you've been used to having, I will take it away. And you know the Lord does that with us? Takes a person away. Takes away some creature comfort. Takes away a job. An income. Takes away a friend. Just withdraws. It's not God being unkind. It's actually God being gracious and merciful. One piece of land was rained upon and the other, the harvest, went to ruin. Three months before it was due, the sun's rays came and burned it up. This was God saying, be careful, be careful. Don't assume that your comfort and your sense of security will carry on in life. And we can be like that. We assume that everything will be plain sailing. Life will just be fifth gear. No brakes, no turns in the road. No, we'll just meander on, cruising down 21st Street. It will all be plain sailing, but life isn't like that. And the Lord in his grace and mercy he sends these things to make us think. Well, this verse, let's come to our text. I've got three questions to ask. They're very simple. This verse, before we come to the three questions, it speaks about a meeting. A meeting. God has gently warned, he's pleaded, He sent judgments, and now he says, that's enough. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. You ten tribes in the north, I've done much to spend time and give a prophet to come and speak to you, and you've ignored me. Right. Now there's going to be a meeting. What kind of meeting? We have lots of meetings in life, don't we? This meeting, there'll only be two present. 
One will summons the other to that meeting. We don't like those kind of meetings. Come and see me on such and such a time, in such a court, in the doctor's surgery, at the dentist. No, we don't like that. This meeting will be a one-off meeting. Sometimes we go to meetings, we get quite used to saying the right things. You speak to a parent, you might speak to a pastor, and there's a question asked and we get used to fending off the questions. We get quite skilled, deflecting the penetrating question. There won't be any opportunity for practice in this meeting. This is a meeting that should always be in your mind. It's not something that should be ignored. It's a meeting. It's a summons. Prepare to meet thy God. Well, three questions. Why must we meet God? When must we meet God? And how should we prepare for this great meeting? It's my desire tonight. On the first day of the year, that somebody, this would be a thorn that would be pushed gently into your soul, that you would think there is nothing more important in life than being ready for this meeting, this summons. So why must we meet with God? Can't I just ignore it? Can I avoid it? Well, the answer, there's many answers we could give them, but there's one in verse 13. For, lo, here's the answer, he that forms the mountains and creates the wind. This is your creator. This isn't anybody. This isn't the king of outer Mongolia. This is your God. This is my God. This is the God that made me, that formed the mountains, created the wind. And he isn't abstract. He's not absent. He's not remote. Verse 13. He declares unto man his thoughts. God speaks to you and says... This is my thinking. You have sinned. You've broken my laws. One day you will meet with me. It would be better for you to meet with me now. And we can make peace together. You surrender. You give up fighting. You give up your battle. You give up your self-rule. And I, through Jesus Christ, will take your sin problem away. And then there'll be peace. That's the first reason why we must meet, because it's our creator, it's our maker. It's the Lord of hosts, it says. The God of hosts, that's the word, the name for God, which says there's a great army. He's one God, three persons, but he's surrounded 
by an innumerable host of angels. Can you see it? In your mind's eye? On that day when you meet with Christ as your judge, just you and him, and all of heaven is there too. The God of hosts is his name. Well, that's one reason. Secondly, why must we meet with our God? Because life is short. And we have to be held to account, everybody. And the problem is we don't know how long life will be. For some, it's just a handful of years. For some, it's long. But as one has said, death is certain. And we must stand at the end of life before the God of all certainty. Well, there's another reason. This meeting is inevitable. Inevitable. We can't do anything about it. We can't change the time, the date, the year. It is inevitable. But you know there's another reason why we must be prepared because God wants you to be prepared. He doesn't want to meet with anybody who's unprepared, unclothed, naked, no spiritual covering for their naked soul. God would not have any to perish. That's what the Bible says. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's what the Bible says. God would have you to be ready. For you it would be a calamity. If you were unprepared for God, it would be sorrowful to meet with your soul and you had done nothing to prepare for that great, certain, coming day. Well, that's the why. What about the when? That's the problem. For you and for me, there's a great uncertainty we don't know when. Most meetings in life, it goes into outlook, into the calendar, into the diary, and we know sometimes it might be postponed, it might be cancelled another day, the doctor's not ready, but not this day. God says, so teach us to number our days that we might apply ourselves to wisdom. Wisdom is the fear of God. When must we meet our God? We don't know. That's the great problem. When I was in business, I've largely finished now, but sometimes there would be weeks, and you looked at the calendar sometimes on a Sunday night to make sure you had the right train ticket ready or whatever it was or a flight to take, and the diary was so full, some evenings you would have no time to prepare and there would be a meeting the other day and a colleague would say, have you prepared? And you would say, no, I haven't and I haven't got time to prepare. And we had a phrase. We would say this, oh, we'll just wing it. We'll wing that one. We'll just float in 
No preparation, no reading, no understanding of the papers, no reading of research that's been prepared. We'll just wing it. Have you ever done that? Maybe you've winged an exam at school. I'll just wing it. No revision, no preparation, no thought. I'll just turn up. Some of us have a way that we're wired that we have to be prepared. We would be anxious if not. Others, they turn up and they just hope for the best. Do you know that's what most people do with their souls? They win the meeting with God. Hope for the best. Something will turn up. It usually does. It always has. The thoughts will come into my mind. I'll just ask questions so that they don't ask me questions. I'll have some technique. I'll get by. Just watch me. I've always done it. Don't wing it with your soul. Don't avoid being prepared. The word of God says now is the day. Now is the accepted time. You can avoid many other things. You can ignore your garden. You can let the weeds grow. The neighbors might complain. The dandelion seeds might float into their garden and ruin their vegetables. You can, you can get by with many things, but don't neglect your soul. It's the most precious thing you have. It's more important than the body. The bank account, your friends, your home, it is what your life is about, your soul. Now is the accepted time. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, they said of Pharaoh. He hardened his heart, not once, ten times. A message from heaven. Hail, frogs, boils. And he said, no, no, no. I will not have this man to rule over me. Why must we meet? When must we meet? We don't know, but you know the time is set. It's already set for you for some. It will be very soon. We don't know. For others you'll have time, but don't assume. Don't presume with your soul. Now I have to tell you, how? How must I prepare to meet my God? Well, this is the key information. What can I tell you tonight? So that you can be prepared, so that you can go to bed tonight and sleep Peacefully, you can lay down your head with no fear of death, with no fear of hell. The place that you will go to if you are not prepared, the place where God sends everybody who's no, made no peace ahead of this meeting. What must I do? How should I prepare? Well, the answer is prayer. 
Don't go to a priest. Don't go and give to charity. Many do that. Don't go and go through some ceremony or ritual. Get on your knees in a quiet place and pray as you've never prayed before. Pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to the Father through Christ Jesus. We come to him and we pray and we tell him that we will come to an end of ourselves. We will surrender and we will submit and we'll stop going this way away from God. We want now for God to rule our lives from this night onwards. Well, secondly, when we get on our knees and pray, we must pray with the world behind us. What does that mean? You've got to turn your back on everything that you once cherished and held dear above God, above your soul, above heaven, above eternity. You've got to turn your back. That might mean turning your back on a family. If you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim, that could be very painful. If somebody's listening to this message tonight, and you have a family that are against God, against the Bible, against Christ, you may have to separate for a time. Turn your back on the world. Turn your back on everything that would stop you from bowing to Christ, surrendering to him. Turn your back on vanity fair. All the distractions, the pleasures, the things that would take your soul. There's a third thing. When we come to pray and surrender, submit, we turn our backs on the world, we have to bring our sin. There needs to be real tears. Not physical necessarily, but there has to be that contrition that everything that we've done and been and said and thought, we are so desperately sad and so sorrowful that we wouldn't go back to any of those things again. We call it repentance. This is not some empty words. This is not, I'll do it again tomorrow. With God's help, with his strength, our tears are so genuine, our repentance is so real that we turn from that way and we'll never go there again. If we're a drunkard, we may never drink again. If we're a liar, we will never lie again. If we've abused and done things with others that we should not have done, we will never do it again. And we need to have tears over our sin. 
They can't be anybody else's tears. They need to be our own. And as we pray, we must name our sins. We can't name all of them, of course not. But we mention the big categories of sin. I'm a liar. I've been unfaithful. I've been proud. I've been jealous. I've been a bitter person. And we tell God all that we've done. And we confess to him that we don't want to live that way ever again. And we ask for a new heart, a new life, a heart that now beats for God, a life that makes choices for him. We want to walk upon his way, not our way. But there's something else. We must go to him with a petition in our hand. We must plead. Plead for forgiveness. God only forgives somebody that's truly sorry. Somebody that's first repented with tears. Somebody that's surrendered. And somebody that said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. We plead for forgiveness. We say, Lord, give me a free pardon. I can't pay. I can't bring anything. I can't bring my good works. I can't claim my family and its heritage. I can't claim anything else. Empty hands I bring. And I cling to the cross of Christ. That's the only thing I can plead. I can plead God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because of Christ, because of what he has done. This is my plea. I stand before my judge and I say, God, forgive me. Take away my sin. You have every right to punish me. But I beg mercy. I ask for forgiveness. And God will give it to you. If that's the way you come, if you pray, if you're sincere, if you plead with him, if you shed tears over your sin, he will hear you. But there's one more final thing. And you know, this is where many people falter. They never go alone. If they go alone, they make excuses. It wasn't my fault. It was my upbringing. It's just the way I am. I can't help it. I look at those things. It's, it's just the way I am. I am excusable for this and for that. No excuses. Again and again, the Lord pleaded with this people to return unto him, but they didn't return. Don't fall at the final fence. We cannot earn salvation. Let me not give you anything that would give you a wrong understanding, but at that final step, don't excuse yourself. Don't put up barriers. Don't say another day. Never say another day will do for Jesus. Come to him.
confess your sin, he will not cast you out. How do I prepare to meet with my God? The preparation is now. The preparation is tonight. The preparation is meeting with him in your heart, with your soul, taking your sin problem before him and pleading for mercy. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that's made the preparation. He's made peace with the world, with all who would come to him and ask for that peace to be applied to their souls. And you can be confident tonight, he will never cast you out. Sometimes you have meetings and the person says, get out! Would God say that to you? Get out from my presence, unclean, unwashed, unprepared. May he not say that to any of us, because you are prepared to meet with your God tonight. Go home tonight. Get on your knees and plead with him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But there's one more thing. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 says these words, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father, which is in heaven. If there is no confession, not of sin, but confession with the lips, telling what Christ has done for your soul, then Christ will never take your name and speak to his Father in heaven. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, telling others, I am prepared. I love the Lord. He has saved my soul. Then Christ will take your name and confess it before his Father, which is in heaven. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, put such a solemn thought upon our mind that we would desire, that we would need that we would go to Christ Jesus and we would prepare to meet our God now and not upon that great day that lies ahead with all its certainty. Lord, may no soul go home unprepared, unwilling to change, unwilling to pray, unwilling to turn from their sin. Prepare us now to meet our God. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.